So good to see all you guys today. How's everybody doing? Doing all right? Welcome back home, back into life and those rhythms and routines that got set aside during the summer and now we're getting back into them. It's so good to be together, isn't it? It's good to be together. I want to welcome you if you're new here as well. We're glad that you're with us. We're just going to trust that God will do a phenomenal thing this morning in our hearts. He's already started it and he wants to do more. And we're going to get into his word right away. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to these passages. Isaiah 53, Psalm 103, and then uh, Matthew 8 and John 5. And if you need a Bible, there's some at the back. You can go and get one um, and uh, keep it if you don't have one. We'd like that to be a gift to you. Then we're going to have communion at the end of this talk here. But we're in a series called The God Who Heals. And we do believe in a God who supernaturally heals people, even today. And in this six-part series, here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay a solid biblical foundation to learn how God heals, when He heals, why He heals, who He heals. We're trying to cover all of that in six weeks. And we're going to go deep into Scripture for that. I've never done a series on healing before. I've preached on it as a topic, but never laid it out in this kind of a comprehensive way. And uh, so I'm looking forward to it. And it's going to culminate with a night of uh, worship and prayer and healing on October 15th, Sunday evening. We're setting that evening aside for God to work in people's lives. So if you have someone in your life that you know needs healing, bring them out on October 15th, Sunday evening. Uh, we'll pray for them. They don't even have to be a Christian. God will splash them with his love and his mercy and his grace. We'll, of course, attempt to introduce them to Jesus, but bring them into the room and uh, trust that God will meet their need or a need in your life. And uh, I'm really anticipating that the Lord is going to do something phenomenal in this series. He's going to equip us and strengthen us as a family of believers to be able to go outside of these walls and pray for our friends and colleagues and co-workers to be healed also. There's so much to cover in this series that if you miss one of the messages, you're going to miss an important piece. So I encourage you to journal your way through it, uh, reflect on the questions, relook at the scriptures, um, ask God to show you in his word what you need to see about healing. And hopefully by the end of the series, many of us will have gained a lot of strength in this area. Last Sunday we started and we looked at that phenomenal verse in Hebrews chapter 13 at verse 8. Do you remember it? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, the same Jesus who walked this earth 2,000 years ago can still be approached for healing right now. And I also shared with you last week that this topic of healing might be a bit sensitive for some of us, and that's because of what we've gone through. Uh, some of you have had the experience of praying for someone and they weren't healed and, and uh, it's made you wonder. And I want you to know I'm not minimizing anything that you have gone through, and uh, I want you to know that we get that. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at navigating through disappointment and mystery. That's a really important uh, passage that we're going to look at. And that'll help those of you who are kind of working your way through some issues. I think it's perhaps the most important message in this series because we've got to uncover and lay hold of the great biblical truth of healing and look at it from all sides. So just know that even in this series, we want to minister to you. We want you to have encouragement. We want you to be built up and to be strong in your faith. Well, I want to share with you a a story, a testimony that some of you may have heard at one of our events, maybe Soul Care Conference or Holy Spirit Encounter Weekend. Um, about over a year ago, I was at a conference with some people in our church, and 
we were there on the first night, and um, there was worship, and there was teaching, and uh, the speaker spoke on the kingdom of God and Jesus and how he still does today what he does in the scriptures. And then he asked for anyone to be healed. So he said, stand up if you need healing. And there was about 150 people that stood up in a room of 1,000. Uh, those people stood up. And then he said, those of you around those people, you're the healing team. So lay hands on them, uh, pray for them. He gave us some more instructions, and we just dove into it. And uh, in front of myself and a few others stood up this woman named Brenda from Pittsburgh. And uh, we didn't know her. We hadn't met her before. But Brenda had come to this conference in desperation, in last hopes that she would be healed of her ears and, uh, and deafness. Um, Brenda had um, ear implants that she, uh, she could hear with, but before the service started, she took them out of her ears, went up to the front, laid them on the stage, and said to the staff person there, I won't need those anymore because I'm expecting Jesus to heal me this week. So now she's sitting in front of us, right? She's one of the people who stood up, and there's myself, there's Jesse Lowen, who's there, one of our elders. Uh, then there's Pastor Richard from Liberia, from Africa. He was there. And we're like, okay, we're going to be praying for Brenda from Pittsburgh that God will restore her ears. Nothing like a big day, first day, right? So we lean into that. We start praying for her and, and uh, stopped for a while and encouraged her. We found out from her friends who were with her that she was really desperate. And after we started praying for her, Brenda just fell back in the chair and she started weeping. And it didn't sound good. It's kind of one of those ugly weepings, you know, like really convulsing and sadness. And we sensed grief in her heart. And so we ministered to her uh, for quite a while and prayed with her and said, you know, maybe there's some grief that Jesus wants to touch in you. Uh, she could read our lips. And uh, we prayed for God to meet that inner soul need in her life. And, and then we prayed to break off the work of the enemy over her and just to deal with any forces of darkness that were harassing her. Uh, and then we leaned into the healing prayer for God to restore her ears, right? And she stops weeping for a while. She's laying there, sitting there in her chair. And then she starts smiling. And she starts weeping again, but it's tears of joy. We sense that this is a whole different emotional mood in her. And uh, I'm behind her. and I know she can't hear me. And after about, this is like 15 minutes of prayer uh, and ministering to her, I, I snapped my fingers. I said, Brenda, if you can hear me, turn around. And she went like this. She could hear for the first time in 18 years. Isn't that awesome? That's a good day in the kingdom of God. Brenda was dramatically healed that day. And we checked on her the next day. Some of us saw her, talked to her. She could still hear. And the day after that, and she later on gave a testimony in front of a whole group of people, God had done a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. How many of you really know that the gospel that we believe in includes healing? It includes healing. Healing is not something that's off over here on the side that every now and then God just does something special. No, it's central to the gospel. And of all the places that God could have put it, his provision for healing, guess where he places it? In the atoning work of his son. In Jesus' sacrifice. In his death on the cross and his suffering there and what led up to it. And so look at that with me in Isaiah 53. This is a passage on the suffering servant that was given in advance of Jesus' life about a thousand years before he walked this earth. Isaiah prophetically declared these truths about the suffering Messiah. Jesus fulfilled all this. Isaiah 53 at verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. 
Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Did you hear that? By his wounds, we are healed. Do we realize how important this is? This is a complete and total salvation that is being talked about here in Isaiah. Now, the Greek word in the New Testament for salvation is the word sozo. Can you say that? Sozo. And according to the scriptures, sozo or salvation includes three important areas. It includes forgiveness of sins. It includes deliverance from torment and the enemy. And it includes healing. And you can look in your Bible and you can trace this all around and you'll see if you have a concordance that the word sozo is used in different places at different times to cover the whole gamut of salvation. It's an amazing, amazing truth. And through the ministry of Jesus, we see all three of those things happening. He preached forgiveness of sins because he took care of those sins. He set captives free from their torment and their bondage from the enemy. And he healed people internally and externally of whatever they were facing. So I just want us to dive in here a little bit more, friends. We've got to go a little deeper into this text and let it really soak into our minds and hearts. I want us to look again at Isaiah 53 at verse 4. Surely he took up our pain And pain is the word for infirmities, illnesses, sicknesses, diseases, afflictions in the body, injuries. If you're ever in a car accident and you get a spinal fracture, Jesus paid for that to be healed. He's covered it all there. All the things that can go physically wrong with us. The other word is the word suffering. And in the Hebrew language, it's the word that conveys the idea of internal pain and mental anguish and anxiety, sorrow and grief. It's the sufferings of the soul. So he's not only taken care of our sins, but he's taken care of the inner part of our lives and our pain there and the external part of our bodies and the pain that's there. He's covered it all. So you just name it. I mean, just name it. Deafness dealt with by Jesus. Torn ACLs, dealt with by Jesus. Eye trouble, dealt with by Jesus. Cancer, dealt with by Jesus. Also, anxiety, dealt with by Jesus. Depression, emotional pain, trauma in the mind, PTSD, dealt with by Jesus. When he was going through this suffering, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us all so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As a perfect human being, God and man in one person, he gave himself over to this huge suffering that we can hardly even fathom what it was all about to make a way for our sins to be paid for and also for our lives to be healed. When they tied him to a Roman whipping post, We know that they used the Roman whip called the cat of nine tails with nine leather strands of leather. And at the tips of those strands were were pieces of metal embedded to the ends of them. 
so that when they lashed Jesus with this whip, beating him severely, chunks of flesh were ripped off of his body. And you would be able to see that. The blood would have ran deeply. By his stripes, we are healed, one translation says. He was beaten and marred beyond recognition, more than any man was ever beaten, it says. And in those moments, I believe Jesus knew what he was doing. I I can picture Jesus crumpling to the ground and going, Sozo, Sozo, it's all for Sozo. For the salvation of the world. For the salvation of people who will come to God and trust him for the forgiveness of their sins or deliverance from torment or the healing of their bodies. It says he was crushed for our iniquities. Crushed because of the weight of our sins. How was he crushed? The Bible says not a bone in his body was broken. When the soldiers came to the cross to hasten the death of those that were crucified that day, they did not have to break the legs of Jesus because he had already died. When the spear went into his side, it pierced no bones. So how was he crushed then? He was crushed with the weight and thickness and the horror of all of our sins and all of our sicknesses and emotional pain. All of that was laid upon him. Try to imagine that for a second. All of the trauma in the world, all of the human suffering, downloaded onto him in that moment. It was a vicarious death. It was a death for us. He took our place in this so that he could suffer and die and then be raised to life to give us hope and healing and a future. He's covered it all. And we're talking about real healing here. So in Matthew 8 and verse 16, we read this. When evening came, many who were demonized were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And it links it to 53 verse 4. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. In other words, Matthew is saying here, this is real healing in view. This is not just theoretical. This is not just a doctrine off on on some theological shelf that we think about every now and then. We're actually talking about a real work of healing in people's lives that can happen in the here and now. Jesus made payment and provision for that. It's all part of the gospel. We can't separate his suffering for sins from his suffering for our sicknesses and diseases. They were dealt with at the same time. He is so amazing in this. Let's turn to Psalm 103, verse 1. I just love this passage. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to it in my own life. Psalm 103, verse 1. Great soul psalm. We touched on it earlier. Psalm 103, praise the Lord my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. If you're ever wondering what the soul is, it's your inmost being. Praise the Lord my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Did you know there's benefits? There's great benefits for every believer. It's an amazing benefits package, really. Verse 3, who forgives all your sins. Isn't that incredible? How many sins does God forgive you? All your sins? Not just some of your sins? Are you sure? How can you be sure? The Bible says so. That's a great answer. This book says so. It says that he forgives 
all your sins. Let's look at the rest of that verse. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. How many? Are you sure about that? How can you know? The Bible says so. We're not making this stuff up, friend. It's right there. No, I'm just a simple guy, really. I, I grew up the son of a commercial fisherman on Lake Winnipeg with boats and nets and, and uncles and uh, all that. And, you know, we're pretty straightforward people. I come from an Icelandic background. So I tend to take things at face value, unless you shouldn't for some reason. So if God says in his word, if God says in his holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word that he has taken care of all of our sins and all of our sicknesses, you know what I'm going to do with that? I'm going to believe that. I, I, I might not fully understand that, but I'm going to believe that and I'm going to live into that because that's what he put in his book. Now here's where rationalism comes in. Rationalism, our great friend of modernity, coming in into a modern scientific age and saying to you, yeah, but. Have you heard any yeah, buts today? Yeah, but. So-and-so is not healed. Yeah, but. They prayed for him and he didn't get healed. Yeah, but. Rationalism. Letting the mind have rule over what we believe and trying to bend everything towards our logic. Dangerous stuff. This is where skepticism comes in. Some people might think, well, I, I like the fact that Jesus deals with all of our sins. I appreciate that. But did he really deal with all of our diseases? Something I learned in a deeper way at Fuller Theological Seminary when I was there doing a degree, uh, they did a marvelous job on something called hermeneutics, which means how you interpret Scripture. And they pounded this into us. They said, do not build your theology on theology. In other words, that's a, let me just kind of break that down. Don't build what you believe on things that you just want to believe. Build your theology out of the scriptures. Let the plain reading of the word of God inform you. Scripture must interpret scripture. It's the number one rule of theology. We've got to be able to have a belief, and our beliefs must be informed by the Bible not by something some sophisticated seminarian says after studying it for 15 years. It's got to all come together. And the Bible teaches us that God is a God who heals. Period. And someone might say, well, is there just, you know, is there one verse that I could go to in the Bible that would just clearly say it that way? I'm glad you asked. Yes, there is. Exodus 15, verse 26, after the great redemption of God's people from Egypt, from Pharaoh, Exodus 15, 26, for I am the Lord who heals you, God says. It's an I am statement. And whenever you see an I am statement in the scriptures, zero in because God is revealing something very special about himself to his people. I am the Lord who heals you. Yahweh Rapha in the original language. I'm not just a God who can heal. I am a God who does heal. The founder of our denomination, A.B. Simpson, 
really understood this. We'll look at that in a moment. But, you know, I want to make it clear again that Jesus came to make sick people well. Which means Jesus doesn't make people sick. Right? Is that kind of plain? And some people think, well, you know, God made me sick. God put this thing in my life. No, he didn't. Well, he allowed it. Yeah, he allowed it. But what God allows is not the same as what God wills and how he directly gives us things. We'll look at that next week. You really don't want to miss the sermon next week. It's really an important building block message to kind of connect those things together. But some believers erroneously think that God makes people sick. Listen, there's a difference when God lifts his hand off of our lives, his restraining, protecting hand. If he lifts that off of our lives, all kinds of things can happen to us. And then remember, we live in a fallen world. See, we need a warfare mindset when it comes to this world, not a warehouse mindset. A warehouse mindset is the church is in a nice, cozy building. We got all our nice, cozy stuff in our beliefs, and it's for us, and nothing ever goes wrong. But that's not the church that I read about in the Bible. The church that I read about in the scriptures is sent out, right? Sent out into its city and world. Sent out to deal with warfare. And when warfare happens, stuff happens, man. You get shot at. You get wounded sometimes, like, ow! So healing is big. It it covers a lot of territory. We're going to try to get our, our minds and hearts around that in this series. But just know this, Jesus doesn't make people sick. He came to deal with sickness. Well, then some people might think, well, maybe Jesus doesn't make people sick, but God does. God the Father. Okay, so God sends his son into the world to be a payment for for sins and sickness, and and, and Jesus does that, and the Father says, well, just not for everybody, though. There's some people I want to punish. Wow, we've got to be careful. And yes, there are times that God has withdrawn his, his restraining hand and his sovereignty and all kinds of things have happened to people in the Old Testament and sometimes even in the New. We'll look at that. But God is not the author of sickness. Back to A.B. Simpson. I love him. I can't wait to meet him in heaven. He's kind of a handsome guy, really. I mean, there he is probably near age 70, Still sharp as a tack. He himself went through experiences of healing. He was healed at least twice, maybe more, uh, more times in his body. Once when he was a teenager, he was on his bed and he was, he was absolutely at the end of his life, nervous exhaustion, ready to die at the gates of hell. And God saved him. Then later on in his life, he's a preacher. He's like 21, 22, 23 years old. He's preaching. He was a great preacher. He was in Hamilton, Ontario. Then he went down to Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, if you're from there. Louisville. And uh, preaching. You know, but he was so weak in his heart. He had, he, had, he had sort of heart disease of some kind. And the only way he could get through a week was by drinking tonics. You know, like Red Bull, I think. It was a, <laughs> hey, A.B., here you go. <laughs> And then he'd get up there and preach. He was so exhausted after preaching, it, it is recorded that he went home and rested for four days. He couldn't even get out of bed. And he had a wife and many kids, and you know what that would look like, right? So, you know, Monday he's resting, Tuesday he's resting, Wednesday, Thursday he's resting. Finally, I can picture, you know, the media team emailing him, hey, A.B., uh, we need to do your PowerPoint, so send in your sermon, He's like, I can't. I haven't started it yet. They're like, oh, brother, 
How are we supposed to pick songs, you know? This messes up the whole church. All he could do was preach, and his church grew in spite of it. But one day, he got to that point where he said, I've had enough. I'm not going to carry around this weak old heart in my young body anymore. And he went to Jesus as his healer and asked God to do a work inside of him. He claimed Christ as his healer. He felt something was going on, but the test came one day when a friend of his said, would you come hiking with us? There's a 3,000-foot mountain that we want to ascend. We'd like you to come. And he thought, this is it. I'll either die climbing the mountain, and I didn't get healed, or, or Jesus will get me through. So he took the challenge. This is what he says in his book, The Gospel of Healing. And so I ascended that mountain. At first, it seemed as if it would take my last breath. I felt all the old weakness and physical dread. I found I had in myself no more strength than ever. But over against my weakness and suffering, I became conscious that there was another presence. There was a divine strength reached out to me if I would have it, take it, claim it, hold it, and persevere in it. I pressed closer, closer to his bosom, and every step seemed stronger until when... I reached that mountaintop. I seemed to be at the gate of heaven, and the world of weakness and fear was lying at my feet. Thank God, from that time, I've had a new heart in this breast, literally, as well as spiritually, and Christ has been its glorious life. Wow. I love that. This was so profound that he started a healing movement. He got healed, and he said, I can't hold on to this. i got to share this with people. So they embedded this into the whole foundation of the Alliance churches, part of our fourfold gospel, Christ our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. This is our roots. This is who we are. Long time ago, we had healing houses all over the place in North America where people could go in and check in for a month. They'd get teaching and prayer, and they would come out, many of them healed. We're recovering our roots because we've gotten away from them. So our president, David Hearn, would echo this today, that we are all about this. This is who we are. This is our DNA. We believe in a God who heals. So I want us to see this again in the life of Jesus because he's the source of our healing. I want you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 5, this amazing passage. It's got some great news in it. It's the healing at the pool. I'm going to read the the passage for us. You'll see the words up there. John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick pick it up and walk? 
The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Let's follow Jesus into this encounter with the man at the pool. Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, where many disabled people came to lie down there. And this is not like a modern-day spa, pool, hotel complex. It's, it's not the same as when you check into a, a place that's going to pamper you. Remember my wife and I, we saved up, scrounged up a whole bunch of money one time, and we went to this spa for a spa day, and you know, you come in, and they charge you ridiculous amounts of money, but you committed to it. And the moment you walk in, some smooth-voiced person says, welcome. Then they give you a white terry cloth bathrobe and flip-flops to keep, I think, <laughs> I hope. And you just escape from the world, right? You, you rest on the chaise lounge and there's waterfalls and there's green apples here and granola bars here and fruit drinks here and there's moisture in the air and you go in this pool and rest for a while and if you're tired of that, you go in the other pool and, and uh, it just rejuvenates you, right? It just ministers to your, your body and actually to your soul. It's a good thing to do if you can. That is not the pool of Bethesda, Okay. That is nothing like it. Jesus goes to this place where all the broken people hung out. Where all the shattered limbs and destroyed lives hung out. There was a rumor that if you saw the waters of the pool stirred, it meant that an angel had come down from heaven and stirred the waters, and the first one who got in there got healed. It was a myth. may not have been true, but that's what they believed. And so there were people there hoping, hoping, hoping to watch those waters stir and maybe, maybe I could get in first and just maybe, maybe I could be healed. This is where Jesus goes. It reminds me if, if we're the church that Jesus is building, he's going to send us to places like this. He's going to send us to the places of broken humanity at their worst. He's going to send us into areas of the world and areas of our lives where there is no hope, where there is desperation and destitution. Just talk to Nicole Jones about that and her missionary experience in South Africa, how real that is. Some of us will be called into some dark places. You know why? So-so. That's why. Somebody has to go. Somebody has to represent the love of the Father. Somebody has to bring the light and love of Jesus into dark places. And not be afraid to go up to people who are limping and hurting and saying, you know, I just noticed that you're not doing well. Um, I pray for people. Do you mind if I pray for your need to be met? You'd be surprised how many people will say yes. Jesus approaches this man who's been Lame and crippled for 38 years. 38 years. You know what he's got to show for it? He's got his very, very familiar friend. It's called his mat. That's all he's got. 
Probably doesn't look as good as this one. Back then, mats were made out of straw woven together. Some of them might have been covered with linen. But this guy's been laying on his mat for 38 years. It's just a little thin layer between him and the ground. This is his familiar friend. This is home to him. And he, like many others there that day, were just hoping, waiting, believing that perhaps, maybe, maybe, maybe someday a miracle will happen and I'll get healed. The rabbis had a teaching back then in the circles of Jerusalem, and it was like this. There is no death without sin, and there's no suffering without iniquity. Ooh, pretty harsh. Not always true. These people, like the man on the mat, were not allowed into the temple. They couldn't worship with the gathering of God's people. They were viewed as unclean. The idea was, if you're sick, then you've done something to make God mad at you, and now you're punished. So here's this guy, and Jesus comes up to him, and he he asks this profound question. Do you want to get well? I mean, Lord, why would you ask him that? Do you want to get well? You guys thinking, you mean me? Yeah, you. Do you want to get well? He doesn't know who Jesus is. Doesn't know that it's the Son of God standing in front of him asking him that. Do you want to get well? And the guy immediately responds, well, I got no one to get me into the pool to help me in there when the waters are stirred, and so I I can never get in the pool. That's not what Jesus asked him. Jesus did not ask him, how come you didn't get into the pool where all the healing happens? He just said, do you want to get well? Would you like to get well? Do you want to get well? You see, the man has an identity in his sickness, the poor guy. This is who he's become. I'm the sick guy. I'm the diseased person. I'm the crippled person. And it's so enwrapped around his identity that he can't think of himself in any other ways. You might think, don't all sick people want to get well? Don't all struggling people and disadvantaged people want to get well? No. Just ask any medical professional in the room. Does everybody who gets to the hospital want to get well? Does everybody who's in front of the doctor and the nurse want to get well? Not all of them. Many, yes. I wonder if this guy has arrived at this identity of sickness because he's so stuck in his emotional and physical realm that he's, he's played a new script in his mind about himself. There are people who've gotten so used to living with struggles like that that their identity capitulates to the environment that they've created, to the scripts that they say about themselves, they don't think they can ever change. So Jesus' question, do you want to get well, is the starting point. Do you want to get well? You know what I think he's saying? Do you want to change? Would you like to change? Do you want my transforming power, he's saying? Would you like to be rid of some things in your life? Or you just want to hold on to them. And so there's three things here that Jesus calls this man to, and really all of us if we're seeking healing, three things, simple, get up, take up, and walk. First thing he says to the man who's been paralyzed for 38 years, get up. Get up? Sheesh. How come Jesus doesn't lay on the ground and whisper to him, hey, buddy, 
you know, let me help you, prop you up a little bit here. And, you know, in a couple hours, uh, maybe you'll feel better and then you could stand up. Jesus doesn't go to that level with him. Jesus says, get up. Oh, get up. Then the guy has a choice to make. Do I get up or not? See, Jesus is involving him in the area of his will. Do you want to get well? Get up. Get up. But I'm so used to being down. I've been struggling my whole life in this area. This is kind of familiar territory for me. You want me to get up? I want you to get up. Jesus is probing deep into his life because he understands and discerns there's some things about him that have gotten in the way. And we know this, for this individual, it's because of some area of sin in his life that this sickness has come. Look at verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Wow. Talk about gentle pastoral approach. Well, you know, you could look up stop sinning in the Greek. You know what it means? Stop sinning. (laughs) Stop it. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. There are times when the sicknesses that we battle are the result of sinful choices in our lives. Not always, sometimes. We're going to look at that next week. Very important message here next week. But in this occasion, there's something connected between this man's sickness and his sin that they've worked together to produce this in his life. That's why it says in James chapter 5, when you call for the elders of the church to pray for you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. And then it says, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Why does it put it there? Well, because sometimes there are sin issues in our lives. So when we're ministering to people here in our church on Sundays and at events that we do, sometimes we'll, we'll be prompted to ask them, you know, is God showing you anything? They come forward for healing. There's a need in their life. It hasn't happened yet. Is the Lord showing you anything? And I like to ask them, is there anyone you need to forgive? Sometimes a root of bitterness can defile us and it can prevent God from doing a healing work in our lives. And we do that gently. No condemnation, no shame, no judgment. We just say, you know, this is part of it. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've got to deal with this stuff. And then he says, pick up your mat. Pick up my mat? You want me to pick up my mat? I want you to pick up your mat. And you know, in the original language, it kinda, there's a word play going on here. Jesus says, get up. It means get up and stay up. And later he says, walk. And it means walk and keep walking. But when he says, pick up your mat, he uses a different, different approach. He says, pick up your mat. And it means do it as a once for all event. One time. Got it. So the guy picks up his mat. He's already stood up. Now he's cured. In the name of Jesus, he's cured. And Jesus told him to walk. So he's like, okay, I got to walk now. So can you imagine that first step? 38 years, long time, right? Here we go. Haven't done that before. I got my mat here. Oh, it worked. I'm going to try one more. Yeah, one more. Try the other foot. Okay. Wow, that worked. Okay, bring the other one now. I've never done this for a long time. The guy starts walking. What do you think is going on in the pool area? 
all of his other friends laying around, they're going, wow, did you see that? Our friend just responded to that guy. Do you know who he is? I don't know who he is either. And whatever he said must have done something because he stood up. He picked up his mat, and he starts walking. And I can picture him just rolling up that mat and going, I'm not going to need this anymore. This symbol of my brokenness, this symbol of my pain and my misery and my shame and all of that stuff, I am done with this. You see, Jesus knew something. He knew that this guy needed to take authority over his brokenness. Not play around with it. Get up. Pick up that mat. Take authority over that mat. You're done with that mat. And through the power of Jesus' life and words, it happens. I try to picture this guy. What does he do with his life after this? He goes back home, wherever home is. Maybe he's staying at his mom's house again. He comes in with the mat, and they're like, wow, wow, you've been changed. And he's, he's healed, and he gives testimony. And they say, why don't you get rid of that ugly old mat? And he goes, no way. I'm keeping this mat. And I think maybe he nailed it to his wall. So when he's playing crib on Friday nights with his friends, and they say, hey, What's that mat hanging on the wall for? He's saying, that mat, that used to be me. I used to be laying down in the gutter. I used to be broken beyond belief. I had no strength, no energy. My life was hopeless. And then this guy named Jesus, he comes by, and he says to me, do you want to get well? And I go, well, I don't know. And he says, get up. And I go, okay. And I get up, and he says, pick up your mat. And I pick up my mat, and it's, I'm taking authority over this thing. And then he says, walk, and I'm walking. And I am cured because of Jesus. He has healed me. There's a provision and a payment that is made for all of this. Jesus was giving him in advance what he would pay for later at the cross. That guy's life was radically, radically, radically healed. So, it brings us to a point of making us ask, what about me? I'm going to invite our worship team to come up here. What about me? What about my life? What about my needs? What about my brokenness? Friends, we're never to have an identity in brokenness. We're to be lifted out of our brokenness. Don't embrace your brokenness. Be changed out of your brokenness. You see, there's only three kinds of people, three kinds of believers, really, when it comes to these issues. There's those who believe that God does not heal anymore, that all that stuff ended with the time of the apostles. Oh, he might do it rarely and occasionally, but really healing has stopped. You can't preach on it. You can't expect it. That's a cessationist perspective, saying that that event is over. Those people don't experience healing. Then there are those Christians who believe that God heals, but they never see it or experience the miraculous. They might want to, but they don't know how to enter into it. But there's a third group of people. They are those who believe that God heals and they encounter it. They see it. There's a direct correlation with faith and expectation when it comes to healing. And so I don't know what your need is today, but I know that Jesus is present. He's here. We get to choose what kind of people we will be. He wants to heal us. 
He came for that reason. So maybe you need healing in some part of your soul. Maybe it's an inner life wound in the emotions. Maybe there's trauma or grief or sadness, or maybe it's in the mind. Maybe it's anxiety or depression. Jesus made a payment and a provision for you to be healed today. Maybe you need healing in your body. Maybe you were born with something physically wrong and you've just been kind of carrying it through all these years. Jesus made a payment and a provision for what your body needs. Maybe there's a deeper work that needs to be done to set you free. Maybe the enemy has tormented you. Maybe you need healing from the disease of unbelief. See, weak faith is tolerated in the Bible. It can get cured, but unbelief needs to be repented of. You might be seconds away from experiencing God doing a phenomenal thing in your life. Do you want to get well? Will you get up? Will you take authority over the symbol of your old life? brokenness, your shame, your pain, will you pick it up and walk? Jesus has made a payment and provision for that for us all. Our God is a God who heals. He's called us to 